We are in Ephesians chapter 4, just flying through the book of Ephesians. I say that jokingly. We spent, I think, like 10 weeks in the first three chapters. But there was so much there. So I'm excited about where we're getting to now. So we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 10. Say amen if you're there. Okay, let's read it. Verse 1. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but also that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Father, we thank you for the word. And Lord, I know this portion of scripture is something that you desire from us so much. The unity of the body of Christ. And so, Lord, we just pray right now that you would give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Stir up our hearts, Lord. Draw us close to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you haven't been with us for the first three chapters you're kind of jumping in in a bad area because uh, one of the things that this defines this book is the first three chapters tells us how God sees us. How does the Father see you? How does the Son see you? How does the Holy Spirit see you? The, the, the last three chapters, four, five, and six, tell us what to do for God. In response to what God has done for us, this is how we should live, chapters 4, 5, and 6. So that's really important to understand because people don't realize before you start telling people what they need to do for God, you need to tell them what God has done for them. And when you find out how God sees you, and it's awesome how He sees this, it's amazing, reread chapters 1 through 3 every week because it'll just blow your mind. I can't believe God loves me that much. And when we find out how God sees us, then we want to walk in obedience because He's worth it. He's worth it. And we have this attitude of gratitude that is like, Lord, you've done so much for me. I got to do something for you. I got to. And that's why Paul could keep going after being beaten all the times he was, being whipped all the times he was, being rocked to death. I mean, he was, a, he was just going, 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 where many of us would have said, you know what, I've had enough. I didn't sign up for this. I can't believe I'm just trying to serve God and this is happening to me. And God tells us in this world we're going to have much tribulation. And Paul says that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He wrote this epistle from Rome from a prison. But he says, hey, don't pity me. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be because I fulfilled my calling. I was preaching to the Gentiles. Gentiles were getting saved. I'm in jail for preaching to the Gentiles. Jesus Christ himself told me to preach to the Gentiles. So I'm here because I did what I was told. And he says, don't pity me. I'm having a great time. I'm chained to my audience. They're getting the gospel. Roman soldiers are getting saved. The household of Caesar is getting saved. I got time to write letters to encourage you guys. Is that how you look at your tribulations? 
See, there's a bigger picture. And as we were looking at chapters 1, 2, and 3, we saw the beauty of the love that the Father has for you and me. And the love that Jesus had that he would pay for our sins on the cross. And that we were sealed by the Holy Spirit as we became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see what God has done for us, and it's mind-blowing. And so now we're going to look at what our response should be to the love of God that He has shown us. And in this portion of Scripture, He talks to us about the unity of the body of Christ. So important to have unity. And how we should look like as Christians. That's what we're going to see. And so when we go over certain scriptures today, you're going to have to examine yourself and say, is that how I look? Is this describe me? See, because um, Paul has been building up to chapters 4, 5, and 6. This verse links us to everything that he said in chapters 1 through 3, line upon line, precept upon precept, all the things that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Stop and think about what God has done for you. I mean, it's really mind-blowing. We take it for granted. Why? It's free. When something's free, you don't really care if it breaks. Eh, it didn't cost me anything, right? If you got a free car and you wrecked it, it's like, oh, well. But if you got a free car and you still owe, it's a big thing because you put out the money. But we tend to just sort of disregard things when it's free and we don't really put a lot of value on it. But here, stop and think for a minute. What has Christ done for you? Number one, he's forgiven you. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Jesus, just for that, right? He's forgiven you. He's called you. He's chosen you. He's predestined you. He's picked you. He's adopted you into the family of God. He's redeemed you by the blood of His Son. He's sealed you with the Holy Spirit. He sees you seated in the heavenlies. We have an inheritance. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. We have all spiritual blessings at our access right now. Wow. I could keep going. He saved us. He made us part of the body of Christ. He made us part of the temple of God. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone and everything that goes through us flows from Him. And now He speaks to us about life in response to that. The response that is worthy to what God has done first for us. How do you respond to that? When you realize all that Christ has done for you, how do you respond for it? What does that do for you? Oh my gosh. You know, I, I'm amazed because you know what? I, this is like the third time of going through the New Testament with this church, and, and, and I'm still discovering things in the book of Ephesians. And God just keeps taking us deeper and deeper and deeper. He's looking for a life of obedience. Because of what He's done, we should want to be obedient. We should want to be led by the Spirit. We are called here in verse 1 to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. That's chapter 4, verse 1. Now, over in verse 17, He's going to say, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles. Walk how they walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. And he goes on. 
We're not to walk like the world anymore. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. In chapter 5, verse 8, he says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are, are a light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 15, See then that your walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise. Well, he just lays it all out there how it should be. So, we got to examine ourselves and see, is that how we are? And a part of that walking worthily is to walk in unity. Unity with the body of Christ. We're one body. We should be united. When, when, when the world looks at a church divided, they're like, well, we don't need any part of that. And, and God wants us united together. Psalm 133.1 says this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like a precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. He said it is pleasant for the brethren to dwell together in unity, and he says it is like a precious oil being poured on us. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit, that unity comes about by the Holy Spirit. And though we have the Holy Spirit in us, we still have free will. Are you yielding to the Holy Spirit? And so in verse 1 where he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, Paul is encouraging us. He's saying, now that you know how God sees you, chapters 1, 2, and 3, now walk worthy according to your calling. But look at verses 2 and 3. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he says this is how it should look. He describes the Christian on how we should look in results of what we know about chapters 1, 2, and 3. Number one, he says that Christians should be lowly. Have lowliness. What does that mean? Being humble. We're to be humble. God hates pride. Pride's the origin of sin. And boy, don't we all have it. And you know what? And we think we're doing pretty good, and then somebody just says that one thing. And oh my, the pride kicks in. And God hates pride. He says, he speaks that we should not only have lowliness, but we should have gentleness. Gentleness is a word for meekness. You know, the only place we see Jesus really describe himself personally was when he said, I am lowly and meek. Lowly and meek. Humble and meek. Lowly and gentle. Jesus came into the world not to be served, but to serve. Now, sometimes people mistaken meekness for weakness. It's not weakness. It's, it's better described like this, power under control. Didn't Jesus have the power to do anything? Couldn't he just snap his finger and dealt with those Pharisees and with Satan and all those things? But no, he kept reaching out to the Pharisees. He kept reaching out to the Sadducees. He kept reaching out to the haters of God. It was power under control. It's kind of like, how many of you have ever ridden a horse? Okay, when you're sitting on a horse, is that horse meek? Yeah. 
Yes. That horse could throw you off at any time and stomp all over you. A horse, riding a horse, is a great example of meekness. It's a great example of power under control. Because when you get up on top of that horse and you grab those reins, though that horse is more powerful than you, who's controlling the horse? You are. And in a sense, you and I, as children of God, can act like a wild horse. God's telling us what to do. We're not listening to Him. We're trying to do it in our flesh. And He's like, would you stop? And just humble yourself and be meek and allow me to take the reins and to guide you throughout life. He goes on to say that we should be not only lowly, but gentle with being humble and having meekness, but long suffering. Does that describe you? Are you patient? Yeah, I'm patient as long as everything's going my way. But how quickly can we lose our patience? And then he says, bearing one another in love. Does that describe you? Do you see the best in people? Are you always looking for the best in people? Or are you just looking to find fault? We've got to examine ourselves. And then verse 3 says something that's very interesting. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So God desires unity in the body of Christ, not division. Unity is a work of the Spirit. Division is a work of the flesh. I've said this many times. If Satan can't stop a church, he'll join it. And then he'll come in. What he'll do? He'll try to get the believers against each other. He'll try to raise up schisms and cause divisions. And the biggest cause of division in a church is gossip. And over the years, I've seen more division caused by gossip and lies about leaders and people in the congregation. And God hates gossip. When someone's gossiping to you, you got to stop them. you got to say, what are you doing? Stop. That's gossip. That's sin. Oh, no, I heard it from a stand-up guy. Stop. And, and if they won't stop, you say, listen, let's go to the person you're talking about and share with them. God hates gossip. Stops somebody from gossiping. Tell them that, hey, we'll go talk to the person that you're talking about and see if it's true. You know, I, I've told you this story before, but it's fitting Years ago, I was uh, accused of cheating on my wife. And there was this rumor floating around. I didn't even know it was going around. That's how, that's how gossip can be. Um, but people were saying he's cheating on his wife with a young blonde. Turned out they were talking about my daughter. But so-called prominent people in other churches in the community saw me with her. And she was a teenager, but she looked like she was in her early 20s. And she's tall, 5'10", blonde. She's beautiful. And she, you know, when we go out in public, she tend to hang on my arm. And so these rumors started floating around that I was cheating on my wife with the other fellowships. And, uh, and, and people were like dissing me. And I, like, I'd say hi, and they're like, hi. You know? And I'm like, what? What's up? You never had that? You're like, what's up with that guy? You know? And then one day, um, there was this gathering of churches. And there was like a, a, a guest speaker and some churches were gathering at a hotel down in Waialua and, you know, in the, one of the ballrooms. And I wanted to go to it and nobody wanted to go except my daughter. So me and her went. And so we get to this place. We showed up late, you know, of course. Right. Um, Calvary style. Right. So we, we we show up late and it's like in a ballroom with these giant doors. And so as you open these doors, they creak. Right. And so it creaks, right? We're coming in the door here, and all of a sudden, everybody just looks back. And then every, everybody goes like this. 
And then they all look back. And somebody comes up to us. And they're like, I'm like, hey, how you doing? They're like, fine. And they look at my daughter and they go, who's this? I go, oh, this is my daughter, Heather. Your, your daughter, Heather? Your daughter? Oh, my gosh, I didn't even recognize her. Look at how girl. I, you, we've changed so much. And that's how destructive gossip is. And God hates gossip. He hates it. He hates division. You don't want to be the person dividing. You want to be the person that's uniting. And gossip and division is not true Christianity. God wants us to live according to His will. And i got to ask you today, does verses 2 and 3 describe you as a Christian? Are you somebody that has lowliness and gentleness? You're patient, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. God hates division in the body of Christ and we should have unity with other churches. There's, there's a lot of division amongst other churches. Churches are afraid you might steal our sheep or churches like look down because you're not doing church the way we do church. And, and there, there may, or be, may be more charismatic churches than us. There may be more subdued churches than us. There may be those that are right in the middle, a little charismatic, a little subdued. There, there might be those that use a certain version of the Bible and the others don't. Some have a rock band. Some of them like to dress up. Some people think that you need to wear a suit and tie and get all dressed up. And the, and the other of us come like us. But the problem is we see division because either they're too charismatic or they're not charismatic enough or they've got that rock band and when they should be doing hymns and an organ. And God says, stop all that. Stop all that. See, there's diversity in the body of Christ because certain churches reach people I can't reach. And this church reaches people they can't reach. And that's the diversity of the body of Christ. That's why Satan can't stop the church. Because we don't know what we're doing. Everybody's so different. We're just like, you know, Lord, I'm just going to read the word. Holy Spirit, move and God take off. Now, in these next few verses, verses four through six. He gives us all the truths that will keep us united. Look at verse four. There is one body. Many members, right? Who's the head of that body? Jesus. Should Jesus be running the show? Because a body without a head would be pretty creepy. But a lot of times there's people running around without the head. You ever seen a chicken with his head cut off? That's power in motion, but nothing upstairs. Looks like the light's on, but nobody's home. And a lot of churches are running like that. Jesus is the head. There's one body. Um, we are connected with the New Hope Fellowships. We are connected with the missionary churches. We are connected with the Baptist churches. We are connected. They're one body. They're one family. We love them. It's so important. Not only are we one body, it's one spirit. The same spirit in you is the same spirit that's in me. Isn't that awesome? That God would place His spirit in us just as you were called in one hope of your calling. We all have the same hope. What's that? Jesus is coming. I got eternal life. That's a good thing, isn't it? And then he says, one Lord. He's speaking to Jesus Christ. 
There's only one Savior. It's Jesus Christ. And one Lord, one faith. Everybody gets to heaven the same way. You've got to trust in Jesus Christ. You've got to put your faith in Him. You're saved by grace, not by your works. And then he says there's one baptism. Now, if you're a scholar of the Word of God, you're like, wait a minute, aren't there a bunch of baptisms? Doesn't Hebrews 6 say baptisms plural? Well, yeah, it does. Okay, which baptism is he talking about? Is he talking about the baptism unto Moses through the sea and in the pillar of cloud? Is he talking about the baptism of repentance that John the Baptist preached? Is he talking about the, baptism, the water baptism unto Christ's death in Romans chapter 6? Is he talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that took place at Pentecost? What, what baptism is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the baptism that's listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, which says when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are baptized into the body of Christ. And that's the one baptism that unites us all. And water baptism is an obedience unto God, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to receive the power and the promise from the Father to do all things in Christ. Good news. In verse 7, he says this, but to each one of us... Oh, wait, I, I left out the best part. One God and Father of all who is above all and through y'all and in y'all. Amen? Paul was a Texan. He was from the south of Tarsus. Y'all. That's good news. That, I love those scriptures right there. And then verse 7, he says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. God has given us all a gift. We're going to look into the gifts of the Spirit next week. I can't wait. I'm all excited. I want to try to cram it in today, but we don't have the time. But he's given us all gifts. Are you using your gift? Are you answering the call? Are you a vessel that has yielded yourself to the Lord and allow Him to steer you in any direction that He wants? Christ has given us gifts. Therefore, He says, when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He is quoting there Psalm 68, 18, but He's changed it a little bit. That seems kind of weird. How can He change it? Well, you've got to understand what's being said in Psalm 68 and what's being said here in Ephesians. In Psalm 68, verse 18, it says, You have ascended on high. Okay, same thing. You have led captivity captives. Same thing. You have received gifts from among men. Gifts among men, excuse me. So what, what's going on here? Well, you've got to understand, the psalmist is rejoicing as he sees God who they had, had delivered them from the enemy. And they had recognized that God delivered them from the enemy and that God had led captivity captive unto themselves, had brought Israel unto themselves, protecting them from the enemy. And so God have received gifts among men in their gratitude. They took the, the loot, the, the, the spoils of, of the war, and brought them and offered unto the Lord as thanksgiving. That's what it's saying here. But now Paul changes it. He says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, same thing, and gave gifts to men. So what is he saying? He's saying in this verse that Jesus Christ finished it at the cross, paid for our sins, and now all those that were captive in the world were in captivity of the world. He has brought them captive unto himself and gave gifts unto men at the day of Pentecost. The good news. 
Now that he is ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That's a confusing verse. Verses. What is he talking about that before he ascended, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Well, in um, what is it? First Peter 318 He said, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus starts to tell a story of a rich man and a beggar. You guys are familiar with the story. Lazarus was the beggar. The rich man had everything going on. And, and, and it's interesting, he's telling it to Pharisees. Now, Pharisees, check this out. In the story, the rich man and the beggar die. The beggar gets carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man lifts up his eyes in hell in torment. Now, this was important to understand because some people say it's a parable. It's not a parable because Jesus never used a a name in a parable he's 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 saying an actual event that took place and he's talking to the pharisees who believed that if you were rich you had favor with god and god was shining upon your life but if you were poor you weren't in favor with god and so the the pharisees thought because they were wealthy they had the favor of god and they were way better than poor people it's kind of like a health and wealth doctrine back then huh where people say that, you know, you're not healthy or wealthy because, uh, you know, you lack faith and you don't have the favor of God. That's nonsense. So what Jesus is doing, he's putting all that to rest. And he says right here, there was a rich man and the Pharisees went, oh, yeah, favored by God. And there was a poor man. Oh, not favored by God. And when he died, the poor man was carried by angels to, to Abraham's bosom and the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell. And they went, ah! That just killed their theology. And so he tells this story that there's this rich man that that had all the best of the best. And every day, you know, he had the best of the best. And he threw the greatest parties and everybody knew him. But then there was a guy sitting in his gate named Lazarus who was poor. And he had sores all over his body. And the dogs licked his sores. And he desired to eat the crumbs from the rich man's table. The crumbs that came from the rich man's table in those days, they all just, they dipped. They didn't have napkins like we do. They would dip their fingers in the sauces and the meats and everything, and and then to wipe their hands off, they would take bread, wipe their hands, their face, and throw it on the ground. That was the crumbs that the poor man desired to eat. And so it says, the poor man died, was carried to Abraham's bosom by angels, and the rich man died and was buried. Now, there was probably like a big, you know, funeral for the rich man, right? And everybody, the who's who's of Whoville came out for the rich man and what a great guy and what an asset to the community and boy did he throw some great parties and boy did he have a nice lexus chariot or whatever you know what i mean and and nobody probably even paid attention to the beggar they had a a valley there in jerusalem um what was it called valley of hinnom or gehenna or something like that it was a place where uh, i forget the name of it it was a place where they burned all the rubbish and dead bodies of animals and the poor they would just throw them on top of the thing and that fire never went out and and jesus would use that as an illustration about hell that the fire never quenches and the worm dieth not and, and so they probably just took the beggar lazarus threw him on the heap and burned him and nobody paid any attention or, or was even worried that he was gone 
But when the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell, he saw Abraham afar off with Lazarus in his bosom. Hey, buddy. And he says, Father Abraham, I want you to understand something. In hell, you have all your senses. Sight, smell, touch, feeling, hearing. He says, Father Abraham, please send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to come to me and put a drop on my tongue to relieve me from this torment. How bad does that torment got to be that you think a drop of water placed on your tongue is going to make your day? You don't want to be there. And Abraham says, no, can't do that. There's a great gulf between us. You can't come over here. We can't come over there. You know, in your day, you had everything. In his day, he had nothing. But now you're in torment and he's comforted. Because of faith. So when it says here, Jesus, before he ascended up into heaven, first he descended into the lower parts of the earth. What it is talking about is that there was two compartments in the earth. There was a place of torment and there was a place of comfort. It was called Abraham's bosom. It was where all the Old Testament believers went awaiting the finished work of the cross. And when Jesus finished the work on the cross, he went and led captivity captive unto himself. He says, it's done. I'm taking you out of here. You're going before the Father in heaven for the first time. And the good news is that salvation only comes by faith. Are you here today and you've been wrestling with Jesus? Do I need Jesus? Should I, should I make that decision? I would. Because we don't know what the rest of the day has for us. As long as you have breath, you have hope. Understand that. Believe that. And, and I want to encourage you to make that commitment today. Whoever you are. Maybe you've been playing on the fence. Maybe you've been coming to church. Church doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. And you've got to change your mind about how you think about Jesus. You've got to say, listen, okay, I've heard about this Jesus. Um, I hadn't bought into it, but now I see that he is the creator of all things. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. So I've changed my mind of who he is. I now believe he is the creator of all things. He is the only way to salvation, that he has provided me a gift. I'm going to take that gift. That's what you want to do in your heart right now. You want to just say, Lord, I believe in you. I want to receive the gift of salvation. And with understanding that you believe in him now, now you can ask forgiveness of your sins because you know that he's the only one that can forgive sins. And then you become born again. But you know what? Do you guys believe we're in the last days? Okay. I want you to get out of your comfort seat. Because there's people on this island that are dying near you. Because they don't have Jesus. And we need to be about the Father's business. We have one job while we're here. To preach the gospel. Tell people about the love of God. And God makes it easy for us because he gives us the power. You say, well, I can't do that. You're right, you can't. But he can through you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you do all the work. Thank you, Jesus, that uh, you're the great provider. And Lord, we come and we surrender ourselves to you and we, we ask that you would pour out your spirit on us. 
and make us the men and women that you've called us to be. Lord, give us divine appointments today to share the love of God with somebody in such a way that they just respond. Holy Spirit, move in our midst. Bring revival to this North Shore. Lord, let us be a people that are known for uniting and not dividing. Thank you, God, for your patience with us. We love you dearly in Jesus' name.